0: Well, good morning, church. I hope you're doing well today. If you don't know me, uh, my name is Billy, and I get the privilege to be one of the pastors here, and that's a huge honor for me to get to serve you uh, in that way. Um, If this is your first time, we want you to know that everything we do here is about one thing, and that's connecting people uh, to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We really uh, want you to know Jesus, and we want you to grow in your relationship uh, with him, and that really Uh, motivates everything that we do here uh, as a church and so uh, you have have come uh, in the midst of a series that we're in called be the church and so we're walking through the book of 1st Corinthians and so if you have your Bibles uh, you can go ahead and open up uh, to 1st Corinthians chapter 7 and uh, while you do that uh, I want to uh, a couple announcements I want to share with you the first is this summer uh, we're getting ready to take our students, uh, our Connection students, 6th uh, through 12th grade students to a summer camp called Student Life Camp over uh, up in Myrtle Beach uh, in South Carolina and it's going to be a great time for them to get away and to spend some more time with their uh, small group leader that they get to see every Wednesday night and hear some incredible teaching as well as worship together and so uh, we have... Uh, a significant number of of students signed up for that. We do have a few of the students that can't afford uh, to to pay for it. And so we always give you guys as a church, uh, us, an opportunity to scholarship some kids to go uh, to this camp. And so it's a week long, so uh, it's a pretty good bit of time. And you get the opportunity to pay for food for them, uh, pay for their housing, Uh, and everything travel that they'll need uh, to get there. And so uh, it costs about $450 uh, to get the kid to camp. And so if you're interested in doing that, uh, we'd love for you to stop by and talk with us. Me or Blake will be outside and we'd love to get you hooked up uh, doing that. And then one more thing that was on my heart this week, I know many of you guys are are familiar and know uh, what's going on in the world and with news and all this, but uh, our brothers and sisters in Ukraine are going through a very, very difficult time right now. Um, And so uh, I don't know where you land politically on that. I'm not really worried about that. But I want you to know that we have brothers and sisters that believe in Jesus right now uh, that are in home, scared for their life, uh, but also are staying strong uh, and believing that God uh, is with them and God is moving with them. And so uh, I wanted us to take an opportunity uh, to pray for them this morning, not only them, but pray for the leadership of Russia, that God would save them and that they would begin to know him. And for the believers in Ukraine, uh, that God would use them in a very, very uh, difficult time uh, to lead more and more people to Jesus. And so uh, would you join me in praying for them this morning? So Father, we do come before you right now, Lord, specifically uh, for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. God, we, we can't even imagine uh, what they're going through right now. Uh, but God, we know that your presence is there with them. And so, Lord, I pray that they would feel that uh, this morning, uh, God, and in, in the days to come, Lord, that you would give them strength, you would give them courage. Uh, God, you would give them hope, uh, Lord, that you uh, are in control. And Lord, there's hope uh, in you and in your name. And Lord, that they would be bold to share your gospel. Uh, with people more and more. And Lord, we pray for the leaders in Russia, God, that you would humble them, and God, that they uh, would, would know you for who you are, and God, they would surrender their lives to you. And uh, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That's where we're going to be this morning. If you've not been here, I want to catch you up. Uh, the book of 1 Corinthians uh, is an incredible book that we've been walking through, and so uh, as you guys know, if you've been here, in the book of Acts, Paul actually planted this church in the city of Corinth, and so that's where we get the letter First and Second Corinthians is written to the church uh, in Corinth, and so Paul had planted it, and a few years later, uh, he had gotten word that that the church in Corinth was having some issues. There were some divisions. Uh, There were some people fighting, there was some sexual immorality, and and some stuff going on. And so he decides to, uh, under the inspiration of God, write a letter back to them. And so in the first four chapters, we see Paul has dealt with division in the church. He's very clear that uh, if we're walking with Christ, the church should be unified, and that's an important part of being a part of the church. And then in chapters five and six, he really jumped into some of the specific sin that was characterizing the people in Corinth. And he handled uh, lawsuits among believers and sexual immorality and how we should handle that. And then in chapter seven, we kind of had a page turned to a new part of the, of the, of the book of 1 Corinthians. And what's happened is now Paul has started answering questions that somewhere along the line he had received from the church in Corinth. And so uh, the first question he dealt with was about singleness and, and sex and marriage and uh, what do we do about divorce and remarriage and how do I live if I'm, if I'm married to an unbeliever? So it really begins to dive into this issue of relationships. And uh, it's important to know, honestly, when you give your life to Jesus and get saved, it really does change everything about your life. It changes how you view everything, And one of the things that it changes is how you view relationships and how you view sex and how you view uh, loving other people and and the significance and really what your purpose is in life. And so it's important to understand that these Corinthians had asked some really, really important questions and some really, really good questions. And it's important for you that you ask questions uh, because questions are really one of the ways that God grows our faith. And so I I know in a lot of times growing up and going to college and doing all the things that I've done, one of the things that we feel bad about doing is asking questions. And it makes us feel insecure and stupid and like nobody, you know, if they know I don't know that, then they're going to judge me. But I want you to understand that asking questions is a really, really good thing. And so as you read your Bible and as you're growing in your faith, do not hesitate to ask questions. Now, Probably pick a good environment to ask questions, you know, that's what our small groups are all about. We want them to be a place where you can show up with a group of people, any question you have about God's word, and talk about it and begin to to play it out. So uh, I preface all that to say that's where we are at in chapter seven of this. And so last week, we talked a lot about the specific questions that the Corinthians had about Uh, marriage, and if I'm married to an unbeliever, and if I'm single, and all these things. And so we saw Paul kind of deal with specific situations. But today, I want to preach the second half of chapter seven, and I really want to focus in on the key message that Paul has for all of us, no matter what situation that we're in. And that message is that we should be faithful to God, no matter what circumstance and no matter what situation that we're in. Does that sound good? All right, so let's, let's rock and roll. We'll start in verse 17, and we'll go from there. So it says this, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule that I lay down in all the churches, right? So not just Corinth, this applies to us today, that God wants us to live as a believer in whatever situation we find ourselves in right now, that's important. Verse 18 Was a man already circumcised when he was called? You didn't see that coming, did you? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. And you're like, Paul, what in the world, bro? Like we were talking about something good and now you're going to circumcision? Like, come on. Uh, that's how you lose an audience right there. Um, so circumcision uh, was a sign that a person was a Jew, right? And so Jewish men were circumcised and non-Jewish men called Gentiles were not circumcised. And so in the Bible, Jews and Gentiles uh, put a lot of pressure on each other to conform to their way of life. But the gospel tore down uh, the fact that we have to conform to anybody's way of life because the gospel unites us. And so what Paul is saying is, if you're Jewish, you don't have to become a Gentile to be saved, or if you're a Gentile, you don't have to become a Jew to be saved because it really doesn't matter about Jew or Gentile. It matters about keeping the commands of God. And that's what his point is about that. So you can come back in now. Verse 20. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. And then he jumps to uh, another thing. He says, Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, then do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's free person. Similarly, the one who was free when called in Christ is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price, so do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them, and so uh, he, he goes into, now he switches from like Jew and Gentile, like your religious affiliation, to now your occupation, and so uh, in this day, in Corinth, there was about 60% of their population would be considered a slave or a bond servant. The Greek word is doulos, so when you think slave, don't think like African slave trade where people are being abused and, and kidnapped and just mistreated altogether. But during this time period, what would happen is people that couldn't afford a living and they were homeless or whatever, uh, they, didn't, they didn't have any qualifications for any job, they would give themselves over to a master and say, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. And they would become a bondservant and they would be paid and sometimes they could earn their freedom and, and all this stuff. And so slavery is never a good thing, but here uh, we see Paul saying Uh, Even if they were a slave, which in society would have been the bottom of the totem pole, a bond servant would have been. Or if they're at the top of the world and they're a master and their social status is uh, very uh, uh, important in society. He says whatever situation you're in, whether it's good, bad, whether it's somewhere you want to be, somewhere you don't want to be. The important thing is that you live as a believer wherever uh, you are, whatever situation uh, that you're in. Now he's not against us doing better for ourselves like if a slave if you're a bond servant and you can get freedom get your freedom if if you uh, have this job and you get offered another job and it's better then go you know it's it's not a big deal but whatever situation you find yourself in uh, be faithful in it verse 25 now about virgins all right he loses y'all once again who starts the sentence that way Paul says, now about virgins. So this would be, uh, the Greek word is is young men or young women that have not been married. Kind of the same thing uh, that we see in our society today. He says, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. All right, so, It doesn't really tell us what the present crisis is in Corinth. And commentators don't really know what was going on. Uh, Most people think it was some sort of persecution that was happening uh, in Corinth against believers. And history would show a couple years after this, the the Caesar of Rome came in and really persecuted uh, Christians uh, pretty heavily. And so he's telling the single people to remain single because persecution uh, is coming, and if you th- kinda dig into that a little bit, uh, why would persecution be easier as a single person? Well, it's a lot more difficult to watch your family be persecuted when you're supposed to protect them than it is for you to be persecuted. So for example, a few years ago, I was in India with a group of people, and we were preaching, and uh, we, we show up to preach, and I didn't know how big of a deal it was, but it was a pretty big deal, and so this whole town had shut down to come, and hear the gospel, which is awesome, but it also draws a lot of attention. And so uh, they kind of like sneak us into the stadium, we come through backstage, and uh, it's me, and if you've noticed, I'm like 6'4", 275 pounds, pretty big guy, in most countries that's not normal, so I'm very recognizable, uh, which is great uh, that uh, for in a fight, but bad when you're being recognized as somebody that's not supposed to be in the country, right? And so, uh, so I come out on stage, and, and me, and uh, the first thing I see is like six cops, uh, and I don't know what they're saying. They're speaking a different language, and uh, I'm sitting there with my Bible, and I'm like, mm, you know, and and they start pointing, like him, 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 you know, and I'm like, me, <laughs> you know. So, I didn't know what was going on. So, in the in my mind, immediately, I'm thinking, I'm going to jail. I don't know what's about to happen. I don't want to be in jail in India. I don't know what happens in jails in India, but I don't care what happens. I don't want to be in jail in India, right? And so uh, I'm sitting here thinking that, God, the worst, uh, and uh, end up just wanting to see my passport and everything worked out well, which was great. But in a moment, I'm just sitting there thinking, that's one thing for me. Like, I've counted the cost. I know if I go and I'm preaching the gospel in another country, something could happen to me. But the good news is, is I left my family at home And how much more difficult would it be if I was sitting on this stage and they were pointing at my whole family and I have my little girl and my little boy and my wife and they drag them off, which is the case in a lot of countries right now when people become a Christian is that they are heavily persecuted. And I think that's what's going on here. And Paul says, listen, if this is the case, you should remain single. That way you're not having to pull your family into a lot of these situations uh, like this, verse 27. He says, "Are you pledged to a woman? Then do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Then do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, then she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you of this. And so again, think about that persecution. That's the troubles that he's thinking about. But he's Paul's not an advocate for singleness." or for marriage, they're both a gift from God. We learned that last week. So if you're married, stay married. If you're not married, don't get married unless you have the gift of marriage and you wanna get married, then get married. But whatever situation you're in, we're gonna see. Paul just wants you to be faithful there. Verse 29, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that time is short. I want you to underline that word. Time is short, that statement is important. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. That is a bold statement right there and has been taken out of context many times. Verse 30, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep, those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I want you to underline that statement. For this world in its present form is passing away. He makes these two statements, time is short and this present world is passing away. Those two statements, if we are a Christian and believe the Bible, have an incredible impact on how we live our life and how we think about our life on this earth. And we're gonna talk about that in just a minute. Verse 36, uh, actually verse 32. Her husband, so Paul's making his case for why he feels it's best for him to stay single and for other people uh, to stay single if they can. Verse 35, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way. Okay, so you should say, well, what is a right way, Paul? In undivided devotion to the Lord. So what is the right way to live the Christian life? undivided devotion to the Lord. That's a very important statement. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Verse 36, if anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he, and he feels he ought to marry, then he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is not under compulsion, but has control over his own will, who has made up his mind not to marry uh, the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if the husband dies, then she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, this is Paul's judgment, She, talking about the virgin or the widow, is happier if she stays as she is. And I think that I too have the spirit of God. A lot of people use that verse to say that Paul was married before. And so he's talking about a widow being better not to remarry because uh, their availability for the mission of God uh, is there. But I won't get into that. So last week, again, we dove into a lot of different situations. And so if you're here and you're like, Billy, I'm married, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm single, I need to know, I need to teach, go back and listen to the message uh, last week. And so this week, I really wanna dive into what I feel like and what I see in here is Paul's main point in the whole chapter of chapter seven because I think it's really, really important. And that is Paul desires for us and God desires for each of us to be faithful in whatever situation that we're in. Like that's his primary aim for our life and should be the primary aim for all of our lives. Billy, where do you get that from? Verse seven, each of you has your own gift from God. Singleness is a gift, marriage is a gift. One has this gift and another has that. Verse 17, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them just as God has called them. Verse 19 and 20. Keeping God's commands is what counts. So each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Verse 24, brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Verse 35, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So very clearly throughout the entire chapter, Paul points So one thing, in whatever situation you're in, when God called you, stay there and be faithful there. If you wanna get out of it and get married or you wanna, uh, if you're, you're married, stay married. If you're single and you wanna stay single, all of that stuff is a gifting from God, that's okay. But the main thing is in whatever situation you're in, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, be faithful. Single, married, Jewish, Gentile, slave, free, be faithful. That's what he wants us to understand is that that applies to every person in this room. No matter what situation you're in, good circumstance, bad circumstance, where you want to be, where you don't want to be, God says our primary aim should be to be faithful. He says live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned. I say big statement. Do you see the sovereignty of God in that? that God has control over our lives and over our circumstances, and that he has placed you exactly where he wants you for right now for his purposes. So we must not miss that. Like, Don't waste the opportunity that God has given you in whatever situation that you find yourself in. So be faithful. So many times we begin focusing on our relationship statuses or we focus on our social status. But here Paul is clearly teaching, don't worry about your status. Like start focusing on Jesus. Stop focusing on your circumstances. Quit getting so happy and so sad about everything happening. Just focus on your purpose, which is to be faithful. And quit focusing on what you do have or what you don't have or what you wish you had or what you see on Facebook that somebody else has and just be faithful exactly where you're. You are, you know, it's really, really hard to focus on Jesus and his purpose for your life when all you can think about is, is, is yourself and what your relationship status is or, or what you do have or what you don't have. And this is what Paul is saying. He wants us to be content. Like contentment is great gain is what the Bible teaches. To be content where we are and we have Christ, which is all we need. The Bible says all we need for life and godliness is found in Christ. That literally, if we had Christ and nothing else, we should be okay because he is the treasure. He's the prize that we want. Everything on top of that is uh, is, is just to be enjoyed through our purpose in Christ. And so Paul says, be faithful where you are and make that the primary aim in your life. And as I was thinking about this, you know, it brings up uh, the, a parable that Jesus shared. How many of you guys are familiar with the parable of the talents? Have you ever heard of the parable of the talents? Uh, it's a very important uh, just principle in the Bible and it's called stewardship. And so Jesus comes up and he's, he's telling a story and he tells a story about a master that has three servants. And these three servants are all uh, given or entrusted with a different amount of money. A talent's just an amount of money, bag of gold, whatever you wanna think of it as. So wait, And so uh, these three servants were given a different amount. And so one servant was given five talents, another was given two talents, and another was given one talent, right? And so uh, they were entrusted with this by a master. And so the master gives them this amount of stuff, and then he leaves, and then at a later time, he comes back. And when he comes back, the whole parable is about what he finds the servants doing. And so he finds two of the servants Uh, that they've been faithful with what God entrusted to them. They've invested and the guy with five now had 10 talents and the guy with two now had four talents. But the guy with one went and buried his talent because he was scared that somebody was gonna take it from him and that the master would be mad at him because somebody took it and so he buried it. And so when the master comes back, the master Uh, calls all them before him and he judges each of them. And he says to the two that invested what they had uh, and received great gain back, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And then to the one that came back and, and buried his treasure and didn't invest what God had entrusted to him, he says, depart from me, you wicked and lazy servant. And so we need to understand that when God thinks of faithfulness, Faithfulness for me and faithfulness for you may look different, but it's the same goal. And it's the same goal because faithfulness is God's call on every one of our lives, no matter what situation or circumstance we find ourselves in. And faithfulness is not a thing in the Christian life. It is the thing. Like this is what you want to be striving and aiming to do in your life, is being faithful to God. It's important that you do that. And here's the cool thing is that faithfulness can literally happen right now, like right now. Like it doesn't have to be a future faithfulness. It can be a faithfulness uh, right now and it can start today. So today that's what I wanna do is I wanna talk about what is this faithful life that Paul's talking about? How do we live this faithful life? And I believe he defines it for us in this passage really, really well. So I'm gonna go ahead and give you how he defines it so the definition of the faithful life, number one is this, keeping God's commands. Keeping God's commands. Did you see in verse 19 where he pointed to that? The second thing is living in light of eternity, right? So living with an eternal perspective. Time is short. This world as we know it is passing away. So living in that mindset. And then the third one is what he calls living the right way, undivided devotion. And so we see that in verses 32 through 35. So being faithful where you are, what is this? Number one, keep God's commands. Verse 19, circumcision is nothing, uncircumcision is nothing, keeping God's command is what counts. So the question from that should be, what is God's commands? Like what, what, Billy, what commands do I need to be following out, right? That's a great question. Is it the 10 commandments that, that Moses received on Mount Sinai? Is it the 613 laws in the Old Testament? Like, man, I wanna know. If they're God's commands, I need to know what uh, he wants me to do. If this is my faithfulness in life is based on this, what it is. Well, let's listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment commandment. 39. And the second greatest and commandment is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Don't you love that Jesus simplifies things in our life? Like we like to complicate things. Jesus likes to simplify things. And he says, if you want to follow my commands, just follow two: Love me and love other people. It's that simple. We don't have to complicate that. And then he goes on at the end of his life before he ascends back, and he gives us a great commission, which is commission is another word for command, the great command, the great commandment. verse uh, Chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so Jesus sums up his commands in one simple statement. Write these down. Love God, love others, and make disciples. Like, period. Like, that's, that's what we should be aiming our life. We wanna live a life faithful to God, this is what it looks like. And even in John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, then keep my commands. Like this is how we show our love for God as we follow his commandments. And you know we love to overcomplicate things. I mean we really, really do. I mean we, we love to overcomplicate things in the Christian life. It's so easy to get caught up in everything that's going around going on around us in the world, what everybody else is doing. And listen, social media just, pulls, just pours gasoline all over that in us. But Paul here is simplifying for us and the Corinthians what faithfulness means. Focus on keeping the commands of God, love God, love others, and make disciples no matter what situation you're in. It really does simplify uh, your life. And, and understand that we have an enemy, like a real enemy, Satan, that wants to keep you from following those commands. And Paul's saying one of the tactics that he uses is getting you focused on everything else but keeping those commands. Like relationship status, show, social status. And you think about literally the reason Facebook can be used for a really good thing, to stay connected with people but Satan can also twist it to make all you think about is what everybody else is doing. And you cannot be faithful to God focused on what everybody else is doing. That is a vertical relationship where God wants us to be in and focused on. And so quit focusing on everything going on around you and focus on Christ and focus on being obedient to him. Faithfulness is loving God where you are, loving others where you are, and living on mission where you are. If you're single, obey the big three. Love God, love others, make disciples. If you're married, obey the big three. Love God, love others, make disciples. If you're a teacher, if you're a coach, if you're a medical professional, a business owner, a stay-at-home mom, if you're in a good situation that you wanna be in, or if you're in a bad situation that you don't wanna be in, just obey the big three. Like, this is God's word for us. Love God, love others and make disciples. You know, Paul's not really interested. And really the Bible, and I don't even know that God is that interested in what we do for a living. Like I think he leaves that up to us to follow the passions and all these things that he's put inside of us. But I don't necessarily care, I don't think he cares what job we have and what job we don't have. And I don't necessarily think he cares much about our relationship status. But what he does care about is who you are in whatever situation that you are in, right? So if you are working this job or working that job or if you're single or if you're married, God doesn't necessarily care about that. He cares about who you are in that specific situation. He's way more focused on who you are in your situation and your circumstance than what situation and circumstance that you're in. So I wanna give you three questions that I think we can use. Uh, Today's message is gonna be pretty direct in your face. So I don't know if you like that or not, but that's where it landed, so here we are. The first question I want you to ask yourself is this. Is Jesus and his commands the priority in my life? Is Jesus and his commands the priority in my life? In whatever situation I'm in, is Jesus and his commands the priority in my life? Or are they just optional things when it's convenient for me? The second question, what is keeping me from walking in obedience right now? So, right now in my life, what is it that's keeping me from loving God, loving people, and making disciples? Because whatever it is, it's not worth it because it's keeping you from the purpose God intended for your life. And the third question is this I'm going to do a little trickery here, a little reverse psychology. If you were Satan, how would you attack you? So like if you were an enemy of God and of God's purpose in your life, how would you attack you to keep you from being obedient to God? If you can get there, man, you can really begin to grow in your relationship with God because that's where he's coming, where he thinks he can trip you up and keep you. That's what he wants to do. He's trying to hinder your obedience and he'll use friends, he'll use family, he'll use busyness He'll use money, he'll use worldly pursuit, he'll use social stats, whatever he's gotta use to to just get you to focus in on them, that's what he's gonna use. So ask those three questions and I really feel like you'll have a good uh, picture of that. If you're in a small group, your small group will be talking about those questions. I don't have time to dig into each one of them today. The second thing Paul tells us uh, about the faithful life is not only keeping God's commands, but two, living in light of eternity. Did you notice what he said in 29 through 31, where he says, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that time is what? Short. From now on, those who have wives should live live as if they do not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is what? Passing away. Those two statements are huge. Time is short and this world in its present form is passing away. These two statements will change everything about our lives if we'll allow them to do it. This is what God wants us to think through the lens of eternity, and so let's talk about some implications. The first is this. If time is short, then we need to be wise about how we live in this present world, right? We need to be wise about the decisions that we're making. This is why Psalm chapter 90, verse 12 says, teach us, God, to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So if we want to live our life in a godly way, a wise way, then we need to, to, to number our days so that we can know what's really important. If time is short, then how we use our time right now is very, very important. It is huge how we do that. If time is short, then we should live urgently. We should live urgently and we should live with great purpose and we should live with great intentionality focused on the the world to come, the time, the life to come. If this world is in its current form, is passing away, then we must not live with a temporal mindset as if this world is all there is and all there is to look forward to. And that's a game changer. Think about what it does. If this world is passing away, then we shouldn't be seeking to build our own kingdoms here because one day it's all gonna burn up. Like what you build here, you can't take with you uh, materially. And so think about the American dream is all about possessions and materials and money and all these things, but we don't take those things with us on the other side of Jesus coming back. And so to pursue those earthly things is not good. I'm not saying in themselves they're bad things, but when we begin to pursue those over God, they become really, really bad things. And it obviously is not very smart to do that at all. If this world is passing away, then we need to be making decisions with an eternal with an perspective, understanding what is to come. And this should be one of the biggest differences between the church and the world is that the world lives for now, best life now. What can I do to have fun and do live it up and build everything I can now versus the Christian? What can I do to invest everything I have into something that's eternally significant for the rest of eternity. That's the difference between a Christian and a non-believer in the world. Did you hear the words of Paul and what he said? Even those who have wives should be as though they have none. Now there's not a verse that I've seen taken more out of context than that verse, so it's important to understand the context of what he's talking about. This is a bold statement. Paul is not encouraging us to neglect our proper family duties. Right? He's not saying walk away from your spouse. He's encouraging us not to live as if our earthly family is all that matters. That makes sense. Don't idolize your marriage. Don't idolize your family. Live with an eye on eternity. Live with focused on the purposes of god even think about it don't why would he say don't idolize marriage because the purpose of marriage is eternal like marriage is not designed for our earthly happiness if you think it is you haven't been married very long because very quickly you're going to figure out living with another sinner that's prone to be focused on themselves is not fun it's very hard the purpose of marriage is to literally grow us to be more like Christ. It's to reflect us, reflect to the world how, to love, how God loves us. And that's the whole purpose. It's a missional focus. Is to literally reflect Christ's relationship with uh, his church. Not only does he say don't idolize marriage, he says don't get too caught up. In your circumstances here on earth, whether it's mourning or happiness or good or bad, it, this is not our home. I mean, we got so many situations in this room. I was talking to uh, Robbie, one of the guys that goes to this church this morning. He is in a, one of the most difficult situations I've ever seen in my entire life. It's a sickness, and, and, and the kid's young, and they've, they've told him there's nothing else that he can do. I mean, that is a difficult situation. But the hope for a Christian is that no matter what we face on this earth, we have hope on the other side of it. And death is just a pathway to take us to Jesus. But for the the worldly person, death is the worst. And I'm not saying death is easy, and I don't take that lightly, but what I'm saying is, as a believer, we do not mourn without hope. We always have hope because we have eternity with Christ. He also says, don't put your hope in earthly possessions. Like, like don't do it. Don't, don't put your hope in things that you can buy. Like put your hope in eternal things, what matter and what are significant in eternity. Don't put all your focus on earthly things. The word engrossed that, that Paul uses literally means to absorb all the attention or interest of. Like when we live in this world with all of our attention and all of our interest being on worldly, earthly things, it it is not good. Paul says, focus on eternal things and let them engross and control and absorb the attention and interest of everything. And listen, this isn't just Paul's teaching. Jesus taught this. Listen to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Jesus himself says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy or where thieves can break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we treasure heaven, our heart will follow, our actions will follow into that. Listen to this. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, if they're focused on eternal things, your whole body will be full of light. He's putting a lot of of implication on how you and I think as a Christian. If we're thinking about eternity, he says your whole body will be full of light. But the opposite, if your eyes are unhealthy, if you're focused on this world and storing up your treasure here, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, then how great is that darkness because no one can serve Two masters, either you will hate the one or love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And here specifically, he's saying you cannot serve both God and money. And so we see Jesus says, don't spend your time chasing money or worldly possessions. It's not worth it. You can't take any of it with you. Jesus says, live for things that have eternal Value, invest your time and your talents and your treasure into things that actually matter for eternity. So let's ask a few questions. The question number one is this What truly matters when we get to eternity? It's a great question. Like, what is it that matters when we get to eternity? Well, the first is salvation. Like, do you know Jesus? Like, are you in a relationship with God? Like, that's the first thing. Secondly, the life of obedience. Did you obey the commands of God? Did you do what God asked you to do? Love him, love others, and make disciples. All those are important when it comes to that. And so when you think about eternity, nobody gets to the end of their life and starts asking about their possessions. You know, when I'm I'm talking to people, and some, some of you nurses do this more than I do, or if you're in the medical field, People are always focused on telling people that they love them. They want, tell so-and-so, make sure they know that I love them. Make sure they know that I love them. It's relationships. Are you right with God and are you loving other people? And have you invested your time on this earth preparing for the next life? Like those are the things that people worry about and that's what Jesus says matters. So live our life to love God, to love others and make disciples. This is why our church is so committed to planting churches because we believe churches are the greatest way to love God, love people and make disciples and help others do the same. The second question is this, what does your life look like when you are focused on eternity? Like what does your life look like when you're focused on eternity? And this is probably a better question for people around you. Like when you are focused on the Lord and you're focused on eternity, what is it that you do with your life? How do you talk? What are you spending your time doing? That's important. And then the last question is this. How are you stewarding your time, your talent, and your treasure here on this earth? Like just an honest evaluation and assessment of your life right now, if you had to evaluate your life right now, how much of your time are you spending on things that have eternal value? In an honest assessment, if you evaluate your spending right now, how much are you spending on things that have eternal value? If you evaluate uh, your talent right now, how much of it, how much of your giftings and your talents are being used to build up the kingdom of God? Like if you're a teacher, or you're a coach, you're a business person, whatever it is, do you see your job and the talent that God's given you as an avenue to invest your life into people? Like not just to make money or to use them to, to, to climb the ladder, but do you see it as an opportunity to invest your life and love people the way Christ did? And the last thing Paul defines the faithful life with is in verses 32 through 35, undivided devotion. Verse 35, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but you may live in a right way. What's the right way, Paul? In undivided devotion to the Lord. Undivided devotion without distraction. Is what the word means. It's 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 literally to be devoted to something is to to love, it's loyalty, it's to be enthusiastic, it's it's be to be committed to a person or activity or a cause. You see, here's the thing that I've I've learned about God. Like God doesn't do one foot in and one foot out. And this is something that in our culture, I believe, is pre, is is literally prevalent. Like, most people, including myself, who grew up with you, who's been in the same seat that you have been, listening to a God just like me preach a sermon and preach his heart out, spend their entire Christian faith with one foot in and one foot out. They, they wear Jesus like a hat. They come into church and they put on their Jesus hat. Hey, man, I love Jesus, I'm a Christian. They leave here on Sunday. They go to work on Monday. Guess what they do? Take their Jesus hat off and they sit it down. And they just work. Jesus ain't got nothing to do with this. And then Wednesday, they put it back on and they jump into a small group or they jump into a Bible study or whatever it is. Yeah, I'm Christian. And Thursday, they go to their child's ball game, take it off. Jesus ain't got nothing to do with this. And Thursday and Friday and Saturday, they they just follow the ways of the world. Then they get back Sunday and they put the hat on. This is is not the Christian life. This is not what it means to be a Christian. This is not what the gospel produces in people. Like when we truly come to grips with what Christ has done for us, the fact that you and I are created by God for God, like literally created you and me with a hole in our heart that can only be filled with one thing and that's knowing him in a relationship and living for his purposes and that we sinned and we all messed up and we separated ourselves from the one person that could fix us and instead of punishing us, he sent his only son, the most precious thing he had. And he poured out all the punishment, all the wrath of God due us on his son so that you and I could be reconciled back to the very purpose and reason we were created, which is to know him and to live for him. And when we come face to face with that, guys, you don't want to spend your time doing anything else because what else would you do? As Peter said, where else would I go? Like you have the words of eternal life. What else could satisfy me with a heart that's been created to be satisfied in God? C.S. Lewis says we're so easily satisfied. Like we literally hear that truth. We put on our Jesus hat, then we walk out of here, we take it off and say, yeah, that's a, that's a, great, that's a cool sermon, Billy. Great job, man. And then we go about our world trying to fill our heart with things that we're not designed to be filled with. And Paul says it should not be this way. Not just Paul, but God knows. And listen, God's not asking you to pursue him alone. One, when we become a Christian and we go all in with God, he gives us the helper, like the Holy Spirit, like himself to live inside of you and me. This is one of the things I figured out, that a half in and half out Christian that straddles the fence is a Christian that is not filled with the Holy Spirit. Because that's what a a Christian, so-called Christian does when they're trying to do Christianity on their own, is they try to be good enough and they can't do it. But the whole purpose of the gospel is that you and I can't do it alone. Like we need something to change us outside of ourselves. And the Bible teaches when we go all in with Jesus, it's exactly what the Spirit of God does. That's salvation. And then from then on, guess what God does? He doesn't just say, all right, you got the spirit, go do it on your own. He says, no, I I got a church. And there's people just like you that have went all in with Jesus and they wanna help you grow. And he gives us the church. What a privilege, what a joy, what a useful tool to get to live this thing out with other people. And this is what undivided devotion is all about. It's living your life focused on Christ and not being divided, not being one foot in and being one foot out. So here's how I wanna end today. Listen, I don't, I don't know where you came into this room, but what I do know is you've received a clear picture of what it means to live life as a true, faithful Christian. And I recognize when I preach that, that falls on all kinds of ears. Listen, when it it falls on my ears, a lot of times, there's conviction and a lot of times there's condemnation. Like I'm not good enough, but here's what I want you to understand. The gospel tells you you're not good enough and you don't have to be good enough because God's already been good enough for you. And so the only response to conviction is to fall on your knees in front of Jesus and say, I need you, like help me. God, this is who I wanna be, this is what I wanna do. And so I don't know where you're at this morning, but here's what I know. Most of our responses in this room, including myself, should be to fall on our knees and say, God, help us. God, help us, we want to be who you've called us to be. So I wanna give you that opportunity. As we sing this last song, here's what I I want you to sing, but I want you to think about you and God. And I want you to think about all these questions that I've given you. And think about this. Is your life characterized by keeping the commands of God, by living in light of eternity, and by being faithful and being undivided in your devotion? And if it's not, would you receive the invitation of Christ today to just say, come, come. I know you're heavy laden, I know you can't do it, but I wanna give you rest. So right where you are, I want you to bow your head. Father, that's our prayer this morning. God, we know that you are not a God of condemnation. God, you don't meet us where we are and give us an honest assessment of ourselves so that we can walk out of this room and feel bad about ourselves. You convict us because you love us. You convict us so that we can repent and take next steps and become more of who you've called us to be. So Father, I pray this morning, you'd fill our hearts with courage. You'd fill our hearts with courage and we'd take whatever step it is that you've put in front of us. For some of us in this room, we do not have a relationship with God. If that's you, you'd say, Billy, that's me. I've never went all in with Jesus and today I wanna go all in with Jesus. Today's the day of salvation for you. And I want you to be bold right where you are. We got people that want to pray with you, give you resources, help you get connected. If that's you right now, I want you to lift your hand right where you're at. Say, Billy, that's me. Today, today, I want to go all in with Jesus. Anybody in this room? I'll give you a minute. Say, Billy, that's me. So Father, would you convict our hearts this morning? And God, would you give us the courage to take the step you've put in front of us? We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Would you stand and sing?